All right, class number two. We stated last week the goal of our class is getting to know Jesus maybe better, maybe in a new and different way, ways that we're not used to thinking about him, to see Jesus in new ways, in new lights, and hopefully grow deeper in our, under, not just understanding, but our relationship with him. And Paul said in Philippians 3, that he considers this goal of knowing Jesus secondary to everything else in his life. That was his number one goal in life. Now last week we began by defining the gospel as God elevating Jesus to the highest position with authority over everything in order to restore the utopian garden, for lack of a better term, uh, that they had originally created together. And we spent a lot of time talking about God's original creation of everything and what he wanted and what the goal was and how sin tainted it and messed it up. And the ultimate goal is not heaven as in this other new place, but getting back to what God originally had started and getting back to that. Uh, Jesus confirms this, even if you ever thought about, you know, in in the Great Commission, we always jump to the go all nations, you know. We got to go win the world. Uh, we need to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we need to teach them, etc. But Jesus actually starts it off by saying, "All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me," confirming, "Okay, I've now got the authority." Which is kind of interesting because we used to think Jesus has always had all the authority, but maybe not necessarily. Somebody read for us Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 23. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. It's talking about God, God's mighty power, and what God's power has done. Who's got it? Go for it. And his incomparable great power for us who believe. Now again, it says God took him and elevated him above everything. And then it even uses the specific phrase, God appointed him head, which kind of implies he wasn't, now he is. Okay, he was appointed. And it all ties it back to that the resurrection, which set Jesus apart from everybody else. We're going to get to maybe some ways that does here in just a moment. Somebody read for me, and we read this last week, but we'll do it again uh, as we continue to, to, to solidify this point. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Okay. And again, I talked about that last week, particularly in the sermon, about God says everybody's going to acknowledge, not necessarily submit to, but at least admit Jesus is the Lord of all. 
because God has put him there. He came to restore the creation, sometimes called the age to come, but we're going to even learn about the age to come and what that really means because when the Bible writers spoke about the eternal life or that age to come, they weren't necessarily speaking of just the time when we die. Okay? You know, you die, you go to be with God. That's the age to come. That's the goal. And that's where we get to start living forever. But that was not necessarily always the mindset. Look in 1 John. See what the Apostle John has to say here. And it's an interesting wording. If you, if you don't look carefully, you don't even really get to understand it. 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. He's just getting started here with his first of these short three letters. Who's got that? One, one, and two. Go ahead, Leslie. Uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now what's a unique here is, is they're not proclaiming the eternal life as in when we die and we go to heaven. Here, when he's talking, when he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, what is he calling the eternal life? Jesus, right. He says, we've seen him, we've looked at him, we touched him, we heard him, he appeared to us, the eternal life which was with Father. And has appeared to her. Jesus is the eternal life. That's not a metaphorical type of... It's an interesting thing. What they're trying to talk about. The phrase, the eternal life, was with the Father. And he has appeared to us. It's obviously not necessarily referring to the time when we die, go to heaven, and be with God. That's not what he's referring to by that phrase there. To fully understand what John is saying, we've got to first understand the term translated... Eternal life. We're going to be doing a lot of that today, by the way. Re-evaluating or evaluating. Why do we say re-evaluating? When you evaluate, then... Okay. It just doesn't make sense to me. But definitions of words. Eternal life. It comes from a Greek. Oinos. Uh, the word zoe means life. And oinos, which is, means of the ages. Or the coming age, or the eternal age, or the age to come, which are all different ways of saying the same thing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, what we just read, makes it clear that the common definition of eternal life won't suffice. Okay, we die, we go to heaven, and then we have eternal life. We get to live again. That won't suffice because he makes it much broader here. When the biblical writers were speaking of eternal life or the age to come, they were thinking of something else. Now remember, that life in the garden, what was one of the things that we talked about? It, 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 uh, one of the characteristics of life in the garden. What was one of the things that characterized it? Immortality. Immortality. Death hadn't come yet. They were living here on earth, but death had not yet come and then we, we, we extrapolated out. Uh, it's funny, uh, um, Amy and I were talking before the service about, you know, sometimes we think about in the garden, here comes Adam, here comes Eve, and they get created and everything gets going, and then a week later they fall into sin and blow everything, right? 
And it's funny how you can imagine God going, really? A week? I did all this and you made it a week? But the truth is, is they could have gone on eons before the fall. Because that was part of So when we talk about the life of the age to come, we're trying to get back to, is it possible that it starts now? Because what these apostles are doing is making the claim, it was a shocking claim, it blew people's mind, that somehow the very embodiment of the promised age was here now. The age has come. In a move that nobody saw coming, the life of the age had entered the present age. And Jesus personified it, and he was the perfect example of it. Other things that we talked about. What were some of the other things that characterized that age? The, the, the garden, life in the garden. Yep. A complete unity with God. Does that explain Jesus? Yeah, God, you and I are one. I and you, you and me. That's what he prayed in John 17. God's will be done. Up until the time sin entered, they were just with God and doing what God wanted. No sin was there. Okay? There's Jesus. No sin. Now, we haven't got the full thing yet because he's still living in the confines of a fallen world. So yeah, there was pain. And yeah, there was sorrow. There were things that were affecting him. But as far as he personally was concerned, he was without sin. He was in complete unity and harmony with God and had complete allegiance or loyalty to God. It was uh, unfailing. Even to the point in the garden, like even like what... Uh, the uh, Philippians 2 said, even became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He goes, his allegiance to God went all the way to the end. Which is what God called for in the beginning. Jesus is the living, perfect example of what God created and wanted. What else? Let me ask you this. What was Jesus like? What else was Jesus like before his death? On this world. What do we know about him? What, what was he like? Anybody? He talked with a British accent. I've seen all the movies. He was loving. Okay, he was loving. Okay, yeah. He described himself as gentle and humble in heart. Gentle and humble in heart. Okay, I saw a hand over here somewhere. Oh, he took your answer. Okay, I'm sorry. Listen. He was serving, giving, loving others. Let's put it that way. And in and, and, and action, yeah. What else? Wise, compassionate, those are all very positive. He had some things that some might some might see as negative things, depending upon who you are. Well, it's just negative, but oh. he, was obedient. he was obedient to his father. He and his father were one in, in that. Okay, he was obedient to his father. Countercultural, he went against the rules. Okay, so, so, well, first of all, he was very uh, hard on sin. Sometimes he was compassionate on sinners, depending upon who they were and how their heart was. Sometimes he wasn't depending upon who they were and where their hearts were. Some of them, he said, you are a brood of vipers, you know. And some of them, he said, whoever is, you know, innocent can throw the first stone. Yes. Courageous. Courageous. Also, though, let's not forget, he was human. He felt pain. Uh, he felt sorrow. He felt anger. 
Yes? Controversial? He was controversial in many of the things that he said and did. Absolutely. Yes? Like single-minded. Okay, he was focused on a mission and a purpose. Yeah. Okay, now, what was Jesus like? And we have a much smaller time frame here. What was he like after his death? Oh, uh, yeah. Because after he ascends to heaven, we kind of... Sort of lost touch. Yeah, we kind of lost touch of it. But, I mean, uh, sort of. Yeah, uh, but, but, but what was he like after the resurrection before? Yeah. Okay. Now, here, let's, let's, let's unpack that. Um, what does that mean, scarred by his death? Okay. But what is weird about that? Okay, okay. All right, we're going we're gonna to do more. Yes? We had no blood in his body, and yet he was walking around, he was eating, he was going through walls, he was doing all kinds of things. Okay, but he still had a body people recognized, unless he didn't want them to recognize him, which is on Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. But the guys would get with him and go, this is Jesus. I know this is Jesus. I recognize him. I've been spending the last three and a half years with him. But he's different. He's the same, but he's different. He can zap in and out of rooms. <laughs> or, as, as, as Kevin was saying, you know, he's got these, not just a scar. No, I mean, you know, Tom is putting, you can put, your, put your finger on through. You know, I mean, he's, it was not just a scar. But, like Larry said, it, it ain't bleeding. Okay, so there's something physical about it, but it's not. Okay, so there's something about that body that has changed. Something, anybody else on what Jesus was like? Yeah. I was thinking about when uh, he reconnected with Peter. Okay. Just thinking about how Peter disowned him three times and how Jesus had passed him three times. Uh, do you love him? Right. And what would that signify to you? What does that say to you? To me, it's kind of like just kind of reconciliation. Okay, and what I'm hearing is all the things that we mentioned moments ago about his character, his heart, his purpose, all of that's the same. None of that changed. The only thing that changed was life's effect, this, this sinful creation's effect on his physical body. That changed. And then, of course, God elevated him, you know, to another, you know, another level of authority and appointed him and all of that stuff. But to me, it gives us a glimpse. Jesus was part of the age. He was the age to come. Still affected and had to live in this present age, which is marred by sin. But the death and the resurrection dealt with that part. The heart and the character, everything, it, it kept going. Right. It was there because it always was there. Does this give us any ideas, conjectures, hypothesize about what life about for us could be now and after we die. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah, somebody look up that scripture. Where's that scripture at? When it comes up, we've got to look it up. 
We'll be changed. He said, we'll be given a body like his. Somebody look that one up. We're all diligently looking. I hear touch screens being tapped and pages being flipped. Read it. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and will be changed. That is one of them. The dead are going to be raised imperishable, which they're perishable, and some of them maybe have already, shall we say, perished, in a sense of, you know, what happens to our bodies when we die, you know, from dust you came, from dust you return, that type of thing. Okay. There may be, there are others. Yes, ma'am. Jasmine? Okay, he'll take our weak, pitiful bodies, as a kind of a extra, extrapolation there, and change them. And the thing is, is what he says is, look, guys, you're part of the kingdom. You're part of the age to come. You still got to live here. Now, he goes, you're changed. And again, we don't know exactly how all this works and what does it mean. Which body do I get? I liked my 18-year-old body. I like my 21-year-old body. I'm just saying. Do I get a choice? God. If I live to be 80, do I have, am I stuck with that body for eternity? I don't know. But do I get to go back and choose another? I don't know how it all works. You know, and, and for those who have died 100 years ago or 200 or 1,000 years ago, I don't know how all of that works. You know what? I don't know how it worked that Jesus was raised and how he, he became the zap in and out of rooms Jesus and the hole in the hand and the hole in the side Jesus, but he's still Jesus. I don't know how that happens. It defies all logical science and medical uh, uh, you know, science and everything else, but I believe it happened. So I can trust, okay, this will happen. And guys, I do want to share this with you just to, when our loved ones pass, we understand that that's not really a, a passing. It's kind of like a transfer. It's like an upgrade in the Lord. It's like I'm going to take this body and I'm going to give it what I originally created it to be. And Jesus ushered this in. But what he wants us to do now is start living now that I'm a citizen of the age to come. To start the living eternal life now. And to really start thinking about that. I want to look at a small sampling of scriptures that are going to look at the end of NIV. And that's where some of these translations are from. Although some of you may be reading from a different one where it uses the word eternal life. But I want to make it a more correct translation of life of the age to come. All right? And let's look at some of that and see if a new understanding doesn't pop off the page to us here a little bit. And as we read, uh, I want us to be thinking about how this affects us, etc. Somebody read, uh, and there's a lot of them. You see them there on your notes. John 3.36, who's got it? And you can look ahead. Yeah, go ahead, bro. Okay, 
But a more accurate translation would be whoever believes in the Son has the life of the age to come. Okay? Has the life of the age to come. But if you reject it, you will not see life. All right, come on, let's keep going. John 5, 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have the life of the age to come. But Jesus says, these are the ones that testify about me. And by the way, I am the life of the age to come. I added that part. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Why? Because I am the life of the age to come. John 6, 40. Who's got the next one? My father's will is that everyone who works for the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up. Now, this is a, a great one here because he says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have the life of the age to come and, or in other words, in addition to that, I will raise them up on the last day. He says, You can have the life of the age to come now and I'll raise you up on the last day. It's not like if you believe on my Son then I'm going to put your name on a list, and on the last day, then I'll give you the life to the age to come. But, no, you'll get it now. And then you get to be resurrected later. Matthew 19, 16, 17. Let's keep going. we got a lot of them. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, all right, so the man came to Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to get the life to the age to come? And then Jesus tells him, there's only one who's good. If you want that eternal, you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Again, this is the second or third time we thought Jesus equates, if you want life, with the life of the age to come. He uses these phrases interchangeably. Sometimes he just says, you want life. But it's always in connection with, we're talking about life of the age to come. It is interesting, and we'll talk about this a whole lot more uh, in the sermon, although not this particular verse. But there is something. When somebody asks Jesus, what do I need to do? What good works? He even uses that phrase. Jesus didn't say, there are no good works you should do. You cannot do good works and enter the kingdom. You, you just need to believe in me. He said, no. You want to do it? Obey me. These are the good works you need to do. And the guy obviously uh, didn't like that. Okay, John 6, 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of the life of the age to come. John 17. I have it. Go for it. So here's two of them. You granted him authority over all people that he might give the life to the age to come to all of those you have given him. Now, this is the life of the age to come. What is it? Well, it's to, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Clearly, this is present, not future. This is the life of the age to come, to know God. Okay, it's not to die and go and change your address to heaven. Okay, but 
right here and now. Uh, just a few more. John, uh, Romans 6, one of my favorites. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so you've repented, you've given up, been set free from sin, and the result, he said, is the life of the age to come. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the life of the age to come, which is in Christ Jesus. Not a gift to receive when we die. Our lives are not characterized by if I live a certain lifestyle and I live a certain way, hopefully I'll get a reward later. But it is to receive the eternal life here, today, and now. One more, two more, two more. Uh, Galatians 6, yeah. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. From the Spirit will reap the life. Uh, of the age to come. And our last one, just to look out right here, 1 Timothy 6. Got one more. Who's going to wrap us up? 1 Timothy 6. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which all of you have made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So here he calls us to take hold of the life to the age to come. And he equates it with fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of it when you made your good confession. Now here's a question. You got, okay, I got a question here. How do these verses help expand our, our understanding of the concept of the age to come? In what ways? Say, I wish you'd have told me that beforehand. I'd have been thinking of it. <laughs> we looked at a bunch of scriptures. Yeah, Josh? Uh, I don't know. When I hear eternal life, I'm automatically thinking about that thing that's far off. And uh, talking about it in this way makes it more like, well, we're kind of, we're living it now uh, because we're in Jesus now. Mm -hmm. So we're part of eternal life right now. Okay. Not this thing that's now, how does that thought, and you don't have to necessarily follow through, anybody can follow through or what, how does that thought, thought affect how I live here and now? You want to comment on that or you have something else? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I think I've always thought of it as something that was something I have to look forward to, like, Sure. That's what it's going to be like to live, and the way Jesus lived, the character, how we interact with people, how it's going to be when we're with that heaven. And this is something that if we, like, if I take it upon myself to really live this out and make Jesus Lord and do these things, we can make heaven here. Right. How it's going to be when we're with God. As much as possible, we can. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, I haven't fully thought through this. Well, that's what we're doing right now, all together. Yeah. Yeah, and, but I think of being made perfect. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not in the future. We're being made perfect now. Okay. And that affects how I'm still 
Yeah, you're, st you're, you're still, you're still yeah. mulling it around. All the way in the back here, Rob. Loudly, for those who are sitting over here, I'm not going to mention his name, but you know how he is. And yeah. Right. Okay. Very good. Yes, sir. Frank? I think one of the things looking forward to heaven is just no hassle but with people. You know, and Who are you talking about? I mean, name names, bro. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no conflict, but like if we're living it now, then it's possible to start getting a taste of it now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, okay, yes, ma'am, Leslie. I was just thinking of living what's important to us. More importance now. Why is that? Well, no, I mean, it just, it should um, change how we think about things now. Okay. Thinking, this is eternal life. Or, yeah, yeah. priorities. Now, I think to me it also, and, and, and all of these things absolutely are true, and, and, and also to me, and maybe I'm just a sinful dog, but, you know, I tend not to be as urgent about things that won't happen until way in the future. And I do believe it's, it's kind of human nature. That's why you take a, a young person and uh, they're, they're smoking and you'll say, hey, look, that'll give you lung cancer, man. But they go, dude, that's going to be like 40, 50 years. That's like eternity. That's way down the road. I don't need to worry about that right now. So if I'm putting all of these passages in, as Josh said, a time frame that's way down the road, I'm tempted to not be as serious today about how I live because I got time to correct my course, to fix things, uh, you know, type of thing. Now, the older you get, you realize maybe I'm closer to the finish line than, you know, the starting line or whatever, and you start thinking about things differently and all of that sort of thing. But when you realize, no, I'm called to live this life now, right. not just you have to live this to get that. No, it's... You enter into a, the age to come. Now, like, and I can be like Jesus in my character, in my heart, in who I am as an individual. I still am affected by the corruption and the fall of the world, meaning pain, sorrow, death, all of these things, just like he was. But... At some point, just like he was, even that will be eliminated. And, you know, so I'm called today realizing, well, no, man, I'm, I'm actually called to live this eternal life now, in this present age. Death really, really isn't, again, as we say, the end. We say that, but if you realize, oh, man, that, that person's been living the eternal life, all what happened to them is like what happened to Jesus. And then they pass on to the next phase or the next stage. It doesn't mean that the fullness of the life or the age to come, that is something that we will inherit only if we live right now and we'll get it all in. You get it now. Now, the fullness will come later. The fullness of the age to come. When everything is restored, when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, and here everything is made new. 
That's the final process. But we can have that life now and begin to live that realization. Um, many Christians have the belief that our goal as Christians is to live a certain way in the hope that someday we'll get a reward. And that's a hard thing. We've often said, I, I, I use a joke sometimes that, you know, I, I, we've got the hardest sell in the world. Okay? We go out and we try to convert people. Well, what are we trying to get them to do? Change their entire schedule, their entire priority list, give up immorality, give up partying, give up cussing, give 10% of their money to the church, offer a payoff that doesn't happen until after you're dead. <laughs> that's sometimes a hard sell. But that's not really the sell. That's not really even the picture. If I view it the other way, it kind of is. I can take a hard life, let's make it even harder, all for a payoff that doesn't happen until after you're dead. Let's not do that. Let's understand, no, look, you can live the life God created you to live. You can start living it now. What God called and created us to be. Yes, ma'am, in the back, Betty. Oh, she's, gosh, she's so, she wants to share something. Okay, all right. Uh huh. Right. 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 Right, I'm going to be missing out on all this fun in the hopes that later I'll get a payoff. Not necessarily. Right. As Josh is going to preach on next week, <laughs> and I know this because we've already been talking about this, we do plan things out, okay? All right? But that concept uh, is that, well, why is certain things forbidden, or it's sin, or whatever. Is it because God said, eh, that looks like too much fun. I'm, you can't do that. Or is it because God knows you're actually going to be happier if you do this, live this way. This is how you're actually created to live. And you're actually going to be more fulfilled if you live this way. And that's like what Betty Sharon, once you grasp that, I can actually start living like the age to come. I'll actually be happy. I won't be missing out on all this good times. Which, when I really analyze what many people describe as good times, don't sound all that good to me. When I really start thinking about them and analyzing, we're not going to get onto that to heaven. But, but yeah, once you start breaking through and say, why am I hanging on to this present life? When there's stuff I can't help, okay? I'm going to get old. I'm going to die. I'm going to hurt. I'm going to be sad. I can't control that part. Okay? Sin has victory over that part. But this other part, I can start having victory over. Why not start living the good life now? Yes, ma'am. I was looking at it. You said you can begin to live that life now. That's pretty much. Mm-hmm. Us to be holy. Yeah. Yeah. And it says, without holiness, we won't see God. Mm-hmm. Also, that's perfection. 
Right. Right, and, and, and that is true, striving for it. And, and actually, I'm going to talk about what kind of some of that really means in the sermon over here. But uh, we were talking this past week, and it was me and Miss Phyllis and somebody else, and I can't remember all of who it was. Uh, but we were talking about sometimes when we or people we know or whatever hang on stubbornly to this life, hang on to, uh, 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 you know, certain habits or characters or whatever that are, that are not good and sinful. It's affecting their marriage. It's affecting uh, their life and their kids. And, and you try to help them, but they don't want your help because they know better, uh, which I think, well, if you knew better, you'd have done fixed it by now. But, okay, you don't. But, that, but we did say, you know what? You can go to heaven and still have a, have a, a bad marriage. The Bible doesn't say you have to have a great marriage in order to get into heaven. But if I'm called to live the eternal life now, why would I bother having a bad marriage and then wait for heaven? Why would I do that? If I could say, you know what? Let me start living like I'm a kingdom kid. <laughs> All right? Like I'm in the kingdom of God now. I, the age to come is now. And I'm going to start being the husband or the wife or the child or the parent or the employee or the man or the woman that I can be now. And I don't have to have sin affecting that part of my life now. Now, there's a grace of God and I can be a bonehead and still go to heaven. It's possible. But why? This life is but a vapor, but still, life's too long to live like that. Okay? We don't have to do that, and we're called. God says, I don't want you to do that. I'm so eager to give you the life to the age to come. I'm going to give you some of it right now. I'm going to give it to you now because God's so eager to give it to us. And notice what Jesus says in Matthew 6.10, okay? He's praying, you know, and he's got the whole, you know, Lord's Prayer going action and stuff. He goes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm reading this now differently. I used to separate these things out, parse these out. Your kingdom come, and then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I read it as, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Your kingdom is now. Your kingdom has come. And your will be done in this kingdom, just like it is in that kingdom. Because that kingdom now is part of us here. So it's not like, let us try until we are somehow transported into God's holy kingdom. Let us try to imitate how they are. But let us realize, no, we're there now. Now, we're living on a physical side of it. But we're there now as part of God's creation. Because I do still believe all of this is God's creation. Okay, it is God's creation. It is corrupted by sin, but it's still God's creation. And we are a part of it. It's much more of a lifestyle. Who we are as a people and as a, as, as a person. It's not a club. It's not a church. I'm part of the age to come. Now, there's an aspect of church in there. There's an aspect of other people and stuff. But it's much more about how I think about it. Now, how do I live this life? This, this life of the age to come. 
Because you can't live two lives, right? What do we call that? Hypocrisy, yeah. We call that, you know, it's a, you're living a double life. All right, so we go, you can't really do that. So why are we called? That's why in John 12, and I'm just going to have to fly through this, he talks about the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. So then he goes on, he goes, then it produces many seeds. It's got to die first. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, but anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for the age to come. If I lose my life, I get to keep it for the age to come. Whoever then uh, serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Jesus who lives in me. And the life that I live in this body, now, right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live differently even while I'm in this body. It's all different. The life I live now is not just a lifestyle change so that somehow later on in the future I might get a reward. It's a life that I live as a member of the new age, the age to come, which is already here. The last three passenger, passengers, passages, Ephesians 4, Philippians 1, and Colossians 1, all use this phrase, live a life worthy of the calling. Worthy. You're a citizen of a great kingdom and of a great age. You're a part of it. Live a life worthy of that. And start thinking of yourself not as a, I got a reservation in eternal life, and I'll get to cash that in later. That's awesome. Even if that was it, that'd be pretty awesome. But he says, no, no, no. You've already cashed it in. You're already in. And you're moving on. And what happens to us when we die? Maybe like Jesus, our bodies get transformed somehow, some way that we don't understand. It's kind of like magic Jesus. He's got the body, but it's not the body. But it's different in all of these different ways. I don't know. But he says, you got it now. We're going to carry it on in the future. You're living the life of the age to come. We're going to explore even some of this more in 15 minutes uh, in our worship service and the sermon as we look to redefine the words faith and belief as we live in this life to the age to come. See you over there.